0: Welcome to Hear Me Out. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. You know, our nation has a love-hate relationship with argument. A lot of us love to argue, but even more of us hate the results. This show is an antidote to fighting for the sake of winning. We'll tackle challenging topics, we'll talk, and we'll listen. So why are we doing this? Well, our first guest contends that arguing with each other isn't just a good practice, it's a moral one even if nobody's going to change their mind.
1: Engaging in an argument is one of the really profound ways that we can respect another person, showing the person that we think it's important what they think, that we might actually have something that we can learn from them. We'll unpack that and much more with philosopher Hugh Brakey
0: on this first episode of Hear Me Out. Right after this break, stay with us. We're back on Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. An argument is a systemic attempt to make other people think as we think. If we argue with any sort of seriousness at all, our desire must be to make the thoughts of our hearers conform to our own. Otherwise, we are not arguing, but merely disputing. That is, our effort will degenerate into an idle controversy of the tis-taint kind. That's an excerpt from How to Debate, an instructional textbook by Robert Babcock and John Powell. This year, that textbook turns 100 years old. Since 1923, a lot has changed.
1: I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. (laughs) Senator Obama's plan is dangerous that's for America. That's not the case. That's What, what he that's said what was Admiral a precipitous and withdrawal I, would be dangerous. I, that's and what, what Adam that. said was, You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. I think there's blame on both sides,
0: and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. But the way we argue with each other has stayed pretty consistent with what Babcock and Powell suggest. We argue to convince, to exert power and influence. And if the person we're disagreeing with hasn't changed their mind, we've lost the battle. Watching the arguments in politics and education get more and more toxic led me to give a TEDx talk in 2015 on how to have a conversation without arguing. That talk now has more than 35 million views. And since then, I've realized that people also need to learn how to argue how to disagree without calling each other names, how to stop avoiding family dinners, how to hear opinions you disagree with instead of shutting them out. It doesn't have to be explosive or sensational or exploitative. We can just talk. We can seek to understand each other and our beliefs without any ulterior motive and without trying to win. In fact, learning how to do that might be the best shot we have at healing a fractured nation. So let's get to work together, starting with a very apropos guest, writer and philosopher, Hugh Brakey. He comes to the show with the perfect hot take to get us started. That it's not just a good thing to argue with each other, it's a moral imperative. And that it's an imperative even when nobody changes their mind. If this show is going to host good arguments, it's not a bad idea to drill down on why we're doing this in the first place and what the ideal outcome of an argument is if it's not changing minds. Your argument is that argument is important morally. I I get that. And, and by argument, you don't mean two people screaming at each other, you know, right? You're not talking about an argument like you know, two people arguing over what type of fajita is the best type of fajita. You're talking about discourse. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, that's right. So we, when we use the word argument, we can use it to mean lots of of different things and different people use it a bit differently. So some people would characterize something um, as a fight where other people would say, oh, it was an argument. They were having an argument and the other people would say, well, no, they were just just yelling at each other, really. They were having a fight. So, yeah, fighting isn't something that's ethically much good. Sometimes there can be a place for it because it does, oddly enough, that type of verbal fighting can have some some advantages. It does because people are passionate. It does show the significance that they bring to an issue and that they care about what the other person thinks. There's actually some curious uh, data out there that suggests that couples that fight in those ways that have heated emotional arguments actually tend to do a bit better in the long term, surprising to me at least, and they do better in the long term because they're willing to express the things that they're thinking and feeling and to do so in an impassioned way that makes the other person realize this person really takes this seriously. And so there can be benefits to that. But in the main, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way we can get together with other people who have very different views from us, perhaps very different perspectives and ideas and come from different places and be able to think through things with them, collectively come to some decisions, but sometimes uh, ultimately winding up to just agree to disagree. But that process of getting together and trying to think through and trying to persuade another person is ethically important.
0: Okay. I mean, I think it was uh, Ellie Wiesel who said the opposite of hatred isn't love, it's indifference, right? So that would kind of explain why, you know, arguing is good. At least you're not indifferent. But this idea that one needs to sort of wrangle verbally with somebody else in order to be moral. Is that what you're saying? That if I, if I don't engage in an argument with an honest argument that I am an immoral person?
1: Well, it's so there's sort of two things going on. There's a question of, of what's it like ethically to engage when we're in argument, and then there's the question of ethically, when should we join in an argument? And it, it absolutely is the case that you don't have to show up to every argument you're invited uh, into. It really is true that we all have lots and lots of things we're doing with our lives and with our time, and the fact that somebody disagrees with us doesn't create a reason why we have to uh, argue with this or that person about this or that issue we can choose what hill we want to die on we can choose what battles we want to fight but it is true that arguing is something that can make us a better person and that sometimes it's a it's a really profound way of showing respect for the person that you're disagreeing with um, because you're Entering into a discussion with them that might let your views help shape their views and influence them, uh, but also that might let their views help shape your ideas uh, and the, the things that you think about. And that is a profound way of showing respect for other people. And so, even though it's okay, it's totally morally fine to, to choose not to argue with this or that person in any given instant there are times when it will be the the sort of the morally best thing to do is actually to engage with that other person, is actually to try and understand them and sometimes to try and persuade them to, to the view that you have that you think is right.
0: But it sounds as though, I mean, I have so many questions here because, you know, it there's so many things that figuring out what you mean by a particular word you use becomes important. So there's not just the idea that you know having these discourses hearing somebody else out is good for you right is is good for your brain is good probably for you emotionally as well as physiologically and neurologically but is moral how do we cross the line into morality? How do we cross that line from, this is probably a smart thing to do, right? You don't want to be an echo chamber and engage in groupthink. You should have pushback. You should hear other people's perspectives. I can totally see how that's good and positive and has benefits, but when does it become moral?
1: Sure, and that's a good question because the reason that argument is ethical, there are, there are a bunch of them, but the main one is that it's, it's a profound way of being able to show a type of respect for the other person, a way of being able to show that their view is significant, that they are a reasoning, rational creature in the same way we are. They, they think things for reasons. They're capable of articulating those reasons and, and putting them together. And they're capable of entering into with us a shared way of coming to new views and new understandings of the world. And so what all of that can do is it can show a profound type of respect for the other person, showing the person that their views are worthwhile uh, and are worth engaging with, and that we think it's important what they think, and therefore that it's it's worth trying to persuade them to have, um, have better ideas or, or better knowledge. Or alternatively, that, that they're such a knowledgeable person, such a reasonable person, such an insightful person, that we might actually have something that we can learn from them and therefore, engaging in an argument with them is one of the really profound ways that we can respect another person.
0: So, a few things come to mind. Number one, that is not how most people converse uh, these days. <laughs> they do not go into these conversations expecting to be persuaded by someone else. Most people go into these conversations expecting to persuade. Not be persuaded. I think most people do not even get into the mindset where they can seriously consider the validity of somebody else's argument these days. I have no idea what it was like in ancient Rome <laughs> or the Incan Empire. And I think a lot of people would immediately say when they hear you talking about this, showing respect to others, you know, at least giving them the courtesy of allowing that their opinion might be valid i think most people would say what if their opinion isn't valid right like what if they're a nazi i hear this all the time is would you talk to a nazi that's one of the biggest pushbacks i hear so does that become immoral i mean uh, how bad does another person have to be before it becomes immoral for me to even engage in the argument
1: so it certainly is true that there's a you know, there's a, a point at which it, it no longer becomes morally significant to engage with a person because their views are, are simply so twisted that doing so would would serve no purpose for the sort of the full throttle Nazi person. There often isn't anything to gain there because the types of views that they have undermine so many of the premises that you might work from if you're trying to sort of reason with them and, and come to terms with them and, and so on. But just on the the point you raised that it's often the case that when we go into arguments, what we aim to do is to persuade, and what we don't aim to do is to be persuaded. There's a couple of ways of winning an argument. One is by persuading the other person. And the other is is sort of by publicly defeating them, by just showing that you're much cleverer and much more informed than they are. And so persuasion is actually a a better objective to have in mind than to win an argument. Because if you're actually trying to persuade the other person, it doesn't take long for you to realize you actually have to start listening to them if you're going to do that right. If you're actually going to get inside their head and you're going to show them that they have reasons to adopt your position, you're going to have to find out what type of reasons they have, what type of things are going to count as evidence for them, what types of of moral arguments are going to work on them, that aim of persuading them, as distinct from just winning, but that aim of persuading them is one that actually forces you, if you're going to do it effectively, to have to listen to the other person, to have to start to understand them, and have to start working with them to see if it's possible that they can be brought Uh, consensually. You're not tricking them, you're not manipulating but if they can be brought to your position.
0: We are talking with Hugh Brakey, moral philosopher from Down Under, about whether or not argument is moral, and we are going to take a quick break. We will be back to ask, what is morality anyway? (laughs) We'll be right back. And we're back. Thanks so much for joining us on Hear Me Out. With me today is Hugh Brakey, And we're talking about whether argument is a moral imperative. And, you know, I kind of jokingly say, what is morality anyway? But, you know, Hugh, morality is so flexible. And morality has so often been used as as a bludgeon against disadvantaged groups, for example. And so when you're deciding whether something is moral or not, how do you make sure you're not coming from a place of, I, I guess, presumed superiority that you're telling other people how they should be?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And it's, it's one that I think we can never leave behind us, as in it doesn't matter how, how sure we get and how thoroughly we've tried to think things through. Um, it remains the case that morality is not the type of thing where we can be given demonstrative arguments that compel all rational people to believe one thing rather than another there just is a huge amount of disagreement, even though it is true that there's a lot of disagreement and probably will forever remain a lot of disagreement in the world. There are some things that almost all of us share and that there are ways in which we can engage with people and and think through the types of things that we should be doing, the types of things we think are, are, are right and wrong with them, and that that can give us, I guess, a little bit more surety in what we're doing. The other thing to mention is, of course, that the concern with with people being marginalized, the concern with voices that haven't been heard and, and the need for them to be be heard is, of course, a moral consideration, just like yeah. all the other moral considerations <laughs> we have. Um, and it's a moral consideration that can be pressed upon others through the power of argument.
0: And one of the reasons I ask this is because there are always, anytime you talk about argument, whether it's, you know, the colloquial way, and which is sort of a uh, stand in for fight <laughs> um, or confrontation or whether you talk about it in the way that you mean there are people who avoid any kind of confrontational discourse, right There are people who are afraid of getting into a fight and there's plenty of research showing that you know getting into uh, in confrontations that escalate confrontations that that become hostile, is not good for you. It's not good for your physiology or your psychology. And one further thing, which is that a lot of people don't know how to discuss important topics without escalating into conflict, without taking things personally. We don't teach rhetoric in most schools anymore. And so the way that you talk about argument is not something people learn. So there will be plenty of people who hear you saying this is good for you and saying no it isn't it's awful I'm afraid of it never I mean that doesn't mean they're immoral as you said before but it means that they're missing out on a chance for morality what does that mean
1: i mean i think it's it's uh everything you've said is absolutely valid it, it is okay for people to feel fearful and worried you know you can you can very much choose who you're going to argue with you don't have to argue with the people that you think are going to be intimidating and railroad you you can sort of try and broach arguments with friends try and try and think things through with them and those can be tough arguments because we care about the relationship but they can be good arguments precisely because that care that we have for the relationship as a thing that we have to worry about when we're working through the argument is a good way of reminding us that, that we need to respect the other person and we need to engage appropriately with them. But I absolutely take your, your point, Celeste, that we don't teach this. And it, it's a source of, I think, immense frustration when you look at the world around us and we look at the quality of arguments that we see on journalistic media on social media, our politicians as, as, they, as they talk, it's not done in a particularly good way. And even at universities uh, and philosophy departments at universities where we go to a lot of trouble to teach things like critical reasoning. So we teach people how to think unilaterally by themselves. They can sit in Descartes' armchair and they can reason through <laughs> all of this stuff without ever needing to actually speak to anyone else. But we don't teach them, at least not in the same rigorous way, about what it's like to argue with another person. And arguing with another person is much tougher. Even though we argue with ourselves, we we run arguments in our own minds, most of us, all the time. And it should be similar, we might think, when we're arguing with other people. But it isn't, and it isn't for all those reasons that, that you've raised. It It can be intimidating. It can be scary. Even if people simply read an article that has a point that's in opposition to them, the scientists can hook them up with a whole bunch of stuff and and watch those fight and flight responses uh, take hold and the adrenaline start to pump through their body as they actually feel you know unsafe, they feel hurt, they feel like they're under attack. And that's just from reading something. It's much tougher when there's actually somebody in front of you who passionately believes in what they're saying and they're pressing That argument, you know, it it really is tough and we're not well equipped for this. We don't practice it very often and we're not taught it at the times that that maybe we could be taught it.
0: Do you think that's at least one important cause of all the polarization, especially in nations like yours and mine and and the UK um English-speaking nations in particular seem to be having a lot of trouble with polarization do you think that's that's a cause that we just don't know how to argue with one another
1: yeah I think it is a it is a cause um, I'm not going to say it's the cause there's lots of things going on in our in our world these days and and certainly technological changes and the rise of social media have have no doubt played a role in driving that polarization but I think argument is is important to this if, it, if it's done well. And one of the reasons is that a lot of the time when we argue with each other, we're going to want to persuade them. But the better aim to have is just to aim for a bunch of maybes. The chance that the other person is going to walk away from our argument going, oh, I see now. Thank you. Thank you for changing my mind. I've been wrong <laughs> about this for a very long time. And just in the in the 40 minutes that we've spent together, I've realised that you were absolutely right about this, so, so I've really changed my tune. That does happen in the world, but golly, it's rare, right?
0: That's never happened to me. That's happened zero times yeah. to me.
1: <laughs> but other things can happen that are actually profoundly important that we often don't pay attention to when we're arguing. So, if we aim for maybe, if we want the person that we're talking to to go away thinking, maybe they had a few good points, maybe there was something legitimate to what they were saying. I can acknowledge that they're a thoughtful, rational person. They're not right, but they had a bunch of ideas that I hadn't heard. They had experiences I didn't know, and I think a reasonable person, a decent person, could actually hold the views that they hold. Now, that's a a much more minimal demand to walk away with. You're not asking the other person to believe that you're right. You're just asking them to to decide that you hold your view in good faith, that you have a bunch of reasons for it that seem like okay, reasonable reasons that someone might have and that you're willing to sort of try and talk and engage and, and think things through with them. All of those are really important in the context of polarization because it's that sort of stuff that polarization undermines. We stop thinking of the other person as someone who's simply wrong about a bunch of stuff, but somebody who can't be reasoned with, who is, you know, sort of beyond the pale. And all of those conversations we can have where we might get that other person thinking, this is a reasonable person with a reasonable view and somebody who cares about my views and is interested in engaging with them that's the type of interaction that starts to eat away at those chasms that can seem to lie between us because we start to decide the other person's wrong but it's okay and that's an important change that we want to be creating
0: this show is is based on this this question of can we have disagreement without wanting to insult one another is it even possible in our era in which Everyone is trying to win an argument and impress other people by demolishing, slaying another person, on, especially on Twitter or something, in which the whole idea of argument becomes something completely different. And, you know, if you watch any of the proceedings in the U.S. Congress, you would, you would become, you would despair um, that there was any such thing as, as logical, respectful disagreement Um, but this show is wondering if if we can get it back (laughs) And, and I wonder if you have any suggestions for us any tips on how we go about sort of building an audience who believes this is possible not just possible but as you say important virtuous even
1: Well, I I think, Celeste, the proof is in the pudding, the ability to have arguments with other people who have very different views and for both people to walk away thinking they understand the other person a bit better, they can see the reasons that they have, they've listened to them. Maybe they've made a bunch of small changes to, to various parts of their views. People arguing stuff often often try and define their terms, distinguish one thing from another. There's also little things that happen in arguments, even when people are holding fiercely to their own positions. So all of those little changes, I think, help demonstrate the significance of argument. But it's also true that I think when argument works well, it's almost invisible. So we have an expectation that human beings are a kind of rational people. And so every time they are rational, we don't notice. We, we just think, well, but of course, of course that person changed their minds about these new type of vaccines because they got the evidence and they looked at it and they thought, oh, well, that makes sense. We don't notice that type of person. We notice the type of person that the evidence doesn't move, the, the person who willfully resists. They're the one that gets all the attention. But the fact that, perhaps 80% of the population actually looked at the evidence and weighed it up for themselves and said, this looks like the right thing to do, becomes almost invisible to us. But it's there where we actually see the power of argument if we're willing to look at it. People do, even people with very strong political persuasions, they do move their opinion when they are confronted with evidence. They don't move their opinion as much as as probably they should and we would like them to that's because we all have confirmation bias so we don't respond well to evidence that we're wrong but we actually do you know the evidence suggests we actually do move even when we're very committed in one particular way we hear that evidence uh we actually do shift our position a little bit and i think one of the problems with our world is we just don't notice when that happens because it just seems like everything's fine when it happens We focus on all the the times it doesn't happen, and I think that can make us think that, that reason, discussion, and thinking through things is just immensely disastrous because it's all heat and no light. But I think a lot of the time it is light, and people do manage to extract sensible thoughts from arguments that they see. They do go away and think about them, and then sometimes they do sort of decide that that's the way they'll go. We just don't notice it as much as perhaps we should.
0: Do you um, listen sometimes to debates and just list off all the logical fallacies people are using?
1: I sure do. <laughs> do you really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I so I should just put a little red flag out. There are lots of there are lots lots of logical fallacies in in the world, and a lot of times debaters will will engage in them. You have to be a little bit careful if you do know lots about fallacies because people can actually use modes of argument that one person might think is fallacious but said in a larger context they're actually still rational in a way but it absolutely is true that if you're in the world of philosophical argument and and you do sort of know all the names of all of the fallacies it can be pretty hard just not to keep ticking them off in some sort of obscure drinking game as a politician makes their way through a speech
0: Good lord, you'd get drunk immediately. What's the most common one? Is it like a straw man argument? Uh,
1: honestly, I think it is. Um, I think the the straw man <laughs> argument, um, because for, for two reasons. One is, so the straw man argument is when we misrepresent or caricature the argument in front of us. We defeat a simpler and more outrageous version of the argument rather than the one that the person is actually presenting to us. Um, and the straw man argument occurs an enormous amount. It's, it's very, very popular. And Probably for two reasons, sometimes we do it deliberately because we just want to win, and this is the difference between winning and persuading. If you're running a straw man argument, you will never persuade the person in front of you because you're not engaging with what they think, you're engaging with what some other person thinks. So you have zero chance of ever persuading someone in front of you through the use of a straw man argument. So they can, they're often used rhetorically. They're used deliberately by people to score rhetorical points on the on the person they're arguing with by making it look like they're committed to some fanciful or bizarre or morally shocking position. But the other thing with straw man arguments is they're often used innocently. So often we just don't listen hard enough to the person in front of us and we think we know what they're saying. We think we know what their position is because we've heard something similar from someone else before or something. And so we try to attack that argument. Uh, It's not that we're intentionally trying to misrepresent or caricature them, we just haven't listened hard enough, and so we haven't actually understood their position. So I think, yes, the straw man fallacy is the most common fallacy that I see uh, out there in the world, and it's there for two reasons. One, when it's used as deliberate strategy, but two, when it's simply the case the person hasn't listened and understood the person that they're arguing with.
0: It would be like if my son said, hey, can I get a cat? And I said, I'd I'd rather that you get a dog. And he said, why do you hate cats?
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Any last bits of of recommendation for us in terms of moving forward? Um, You know, because we're not just inviting people to give opinions that are probably unpopular. We also want to help people lose some of their fear of disagreement. And see that you can have a perfectly enjoyable conversation with someone even in the presence of disagreement. Any other recommendations with that?
1: Yeah, the main things in these cases are always to try to understand before you try to persuade. And that goes for, for the audience out there. Make sure you understand the, the position that the person is, is running before you move into sort of uh, evaluating it. But also to remember that one of the things that, that makes arguing or hearing arguments from somebody who believes something different, one of the things that makes that really tough is exactly the thing that's morally important about it, which is we're being confronted with that otherness of another person, the fact that they have different thoughts from us, that they create value in the world in the same way that we do, but but they do it as a different source to us that we cannot control, even though we might want them and even feel like we want to force them to say the things that we want, to believe the things that we want. But the recognition that we can't do that and that they are okay, even though they have this profound otherness to us, that they are are so different to us, that is really a huge part of what it means to be a tolerant person, to be somebody that can live in a pluralistic, diverse world. It's something to be treasured. Even though it can it can feel so tough when you're faced with it,
0: I, I hope everyone takes those words to heart um, because that would be that would be awesome. Uh, Hugh Breakey, as always, thank you so much for talking with us.
1: Fantastic, it's been great to chat. Thanks, Celeste.
0: I went into this conversation not knowing whether I believe argument is a moral act or not. And to be honest, I still don't know. But the conversation has gotten me thinking, and I hope you're thinking about it, too. We all avoid conversations with people who disagree. Is that wrong? In any case, thanks once again to Hugh Brakey for joining us. Be sure to join us next week when we'll take what we've learned from Hugh and apply it to a tough conversation. Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by Maura Curry. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations. And Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Until next time, speak your mind, but keep it open.